From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. everybody. Welcome to episode 42 of What's Wrong with Revenue. Today, we're going to talk about how you don't have the foundational pieces for scalable growth. Uh, Eric, great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining me again. Mike, good to see you. A very good topic for today's show. I'm very excited. Good. I'm glad. So for all you friends and family and audience team members, uh, Remember, you can catch the show on YouTube, the Square Two Marketing channel. You can like it. You can subscribe to it. You can leave comments. All of the What's Wrong With Revenue shows are streamed to our YouTube channel. You can also get the show at Square Two Marketing on the Square Two Plus page, square2marketing.com backslash square two plus. All of our audio and video content is available free on Square Two streaming service. You can also check out the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple, and the like. And if you want to submit questions and you want the show on your calendar and you want to get an on-demand version of the show when it's over, go to the Square Two Marketing website at the bottom in the footer. There's a link to What's Wrong With Revenue. Click on it. You can submit questions. You can get the show on your calendar and you get notifications of shows uh, as we wrap them up. So like I said, we're going to talk about foundational pieces for scalable growth. You'd be surprised how many people want to blame sales when there's no revenue. The rest of the group want to blame marketing for not generating enough leads. Um, rarely, this is a single department problem. This is generally a go-to-market problem when we start to look at it. Most companies are missing a variety of foundational components. We're going to try to cover a lot of them with you today. They might be missing the emotional, compelling, and differentiated story. They might be not telling the right story to the right person at the right time. They may not be positioning their products or services correctly as uh, when, when uh, compared to competitors or when compared to substitute offerings. Sometimes they could be missing the right educational material. Sometimes they could be missing the website experience. There are a lot of places where people are, quite honestly, missing these foundational elements. So Eric and I are going to try to cover as many of these as we can with you today, as well as explain to you how you can go about plugging in those holes or filling in those pieces with foundational elements so that your company can grow, your marketing can thrive, your sales team can excel against their goals, and the company can actually realize some significant growth. So some of the things I want to try to cover in the show today, I want to understand, help everybody understand what are these foundational elements necessary for growth? How do you know if your company might be missing these and then what to do about it? Um, what to do if you are actually missing them and what impact you should expect to see when you start to add these missing elements 
And then last but not least, we'll talk a little bit about the skill sets and the experiences necessary to fill in these gaps and plug these puzzle pieces if in fact they are missing. So Eric, you said at the top of the show, this is a favorite topic of yours. I know you do a lot of evaluatory work with companies when you first meet them to look and see what they might be missing in their program. Give us a little insight into what you see when you start to talk to some of these companies from a foundational perspective. What do you see missing and, and how frequently? Yeah, it's really a good way to start us off. So at the highest level, nobody, and I mean nobody, says, yes, our leadership team got together and we stood in our prospect shoes and we thought about all the steps that we would go through to interact with our company as people explore doing business with us. Let's just start there. Because should a leadership team go through that exercise, they would realize that there is a long shopping list of things that are missing from that experience that would just support their reason why you should do business with our company. Right, let, me, let, me, let me stop you for a minute. I got to just make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying no company you've ever seen has all the foundational pieces they need to really drive revenue growth. I think that's what I heard you say. That would be correct. You can quote me. <laughs> okay. All right, good. Wow, not a single company. That sounds like a massive problem. No, I said complete. Now, lots of people have stuff, a part of that journey, right? They've thought through, well, well, we should answer some questions in the sales process. So we'll put a case study up or a FAQ section. Okay, very valuable stuff. But I mean, really taking people through the entire process of thinking about every little step, large and small, that they would go through when uh, experiencing the marketing, sales, and customer service components of their company. Hmm. That it in itself is the biggest essence of the foundational problem, because if they did, then you would uncover the long laundry list of things that are missing that they would deem relatively obviously necessary in order to tell their story and connect emotionally with prospective and current buyers. That's hmm. what I think is the biggest problem. The Symptom is the, we don't have the foundational stuff, but the actual disease is nobody's going through the buyer's journey and looking at it objectively. Yeah. What do you attribute that to? I mean, the kind of things we're talking about, and we will go into them in more detail, but it's not real rocket science. Like, how is it possible that nobody has kind of uncovered all these missing pieces? It's expertise, Mike. Nobody starts their business because they're really good at sales and marketing, and then they pick any old product to go to market with, right? The accountant starts the accounting firm, the engineer starts the engineering firm, and so forth. When the accountant starts the accounting firm, what are they thinking about? Well, how are we going to service these accounts, and what are our prices going to be, and how many people do I need to do these tax returns, right? They're not like, whoop. Before we start this firm, let's create a remarkable buyer's journey to engage with people who need accounting services. So it's not for any other reason besides it's not their specialty. I am not going and taking accounting classes simply because my company needs accounting. I'm hoping that my internal accounting person or my external accounting firm will just deal with that. And that's where if you didn't engage with a marketing company to analyze your buyer's journey or internally assign your team the job of before we spend any money, let's create this buyer's journey and fill in all the little steps and all the foundational tactics necessary to support that before we even uh, get started. Nobody does that, right? You jump into business and you kind of wing it. If you were a sales and marketing expert, your first move would be, 
well, what story are we going to tell and what content do we have to give them? And who are we, they going to be speaking with and what that experience is going to be like, right? But the, um, most entrepreneurs start from their base of experience, not sales and marketing. So I think it's, that's the biggest uh, issue because once you were to do that, like, let's say you have an accounting firm. I don't know why I'm using accounting firm, but they said, we're closing the shop on Thursday and Friday of this week. And we're all going to get together in the conference room and we're going to granularly uh, plot out what is it like to do business with our firm from beginning to end. All sorts of red lights would start blinking like, well, we don't have this and we don't have that. And they're going to have this question here. and We don't have anything to answer that. And our salespeople aren't going to be accounts. They're going to be salespeople we hired, you know, from Craigslist and they're not going to know all it. And all of a sudden, all these things would start to come to light, create the parking lot of items that would then be necessary. And now they can roll up their sleeves and start building out some of these tactics. But even if they had that list, you also need a deft touch that makes it so that the story you're telling and the people you're talking to and the offers you're creating are appropriate. And that is maybe a skill set that an accounting team doesn't have. I guess the same situation would, sticking with the accounting company, I guess we're not accountants. So I'm sure there are some things missing from our financial controls that an accounting company would come in and be like, oh, you guys don't have this. And how would you possibly know to have that? Because you're not accountants, right? That is exactly correct. And right. here we are sitting here 19 years in business. And just now you came to the realization <laughs> that we should have a great accounting experience. See what I mean? It's like not for lack of like enthusiasm or effort. It's just a blind spot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So Help our audience understand, like, what are some of these foundational elements necessary for growth? Like, let's try to identify some of them so that they can uh, clearly look at their own business and say, hey, we got that good, or hey, we don't have that. We need to look at adding that. Well, I would think the first one and the one taking up the majority of the bucket we're about to fill would be their website. People view websites as one and done projects. Oh, yeah, we redid our website three years ago. Meanwhile, now it doesn't match anything that's currently going on in the company. It doesn't have uh, latest techniques of converting people and nurturing them and all that kind of stuff. The website, I think, is the, the biggest part of that foundational tactic. I mean, I know that sounds kind of obvious, but based upon what you said earlier in my evaluatory, what did you call it? Evaluatory position. <laughs> I have never Come seen on, that's a word. Well, see me after class. I don't know if we're going to be able to actually find a company unless they're brand new and they just had a website done yesterday that would actually have an effective website. Because when you start talking to people and understand their business and who they're trying to market to, you, as a seasoned marketing person, I can immediately see problems with the website that they can't see. So the website, I would think, would be the biggest rock. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good place to start. And it's probably one of the more... Um controversial places because when you say to a company like oh you need a website as a foundational element for growth i think they're all going to say oh we got that check check well what else do i need right however when we look at prospects websites it's not the website per se it's the experience the website is delivering so and i think i think it's also the thoughtfulness of how the prospect and client would use the website Correct. That's that's a piece of it. Right. And most of the time, this is kind of uh, illustrated in the lack of content on the website. Right. Most yep. people view their website as kind of an electronic brochure that, to your point, does a mediocre job explaining what the company does. 
A lot of people feel like it's, yeah, they just need to see that I'm a real company. I don't really need to spend a ton of time on this, making this experience remarkable. Um, even when we do find uh, websites that do have content, the content's kind of tucked away in the resources section, which is a nice, neat, tiny little library for people to put their content in, but not an effective way to deploy that content to drive leads or even you know, uh, interest in the company's products and services. So, um, you know, if we're going to identify the website, I think there are some elements of the website that also fall under this idea of foundational elements, like big story, right? Like you have a website, you have a homepage, your headline is we sell widgets, like yawn. I mean, come on, like you have to do better than that. And most companies haven't taken any Put, put any energy behind trying to do better around the story and, and, and how to differentiate their company. So I would identify that as a missing foundational element, both content deployed properly and, and the big story on the website. Yeah. So once again, without assigning any blame, because the person in that manufacturing company that uh, approved We Sell Widgets as the headline, they think, well, I'm doing the right thing. I'm explaining what we do. But to think to myself, well, what problems do buying my widgets solve, which seems like a very elementary question to ask, is immediately glossed over or maybe not even glossed over, not even considered because they're looking at the website as well. I'm an accounting firm. I'm a manufacturer. This, I'm just clear. I mean, it's all accurate, but it's certainly not like, yes, these are the company. This is the company I've been looking for. That's what I think is what they should be thinking about. But once again, Think about leadership in a mid-market or entrepreneurial company, trying to keep those hundred balls in the air. They're not like, let me put some deep thought into the headline on my website. That's one of the breakdowns that is very, very uh, crucial. And then just a tail off of your big story, Mike, differentiation has to be a go. Well, why would someone choose our accounting firm versus another accounting firm? Let's talk about that. We've been in business 10 years. We're doing lots of cool stuff. Let's bubble that up to the website so they can see how we're different than everybody else. Going down that road, now it's even more complex because there's different personas. So now you have to think to yourself, well, okay, if someone is going to hire us as an accounting firm, we have to appeal to the leadership team because they're looking for that. But, well, wait a minute. What about their internal accounting people? They're going to be looking at this website too because the owner is going to say, hey, accounting folks, look at this website and see if this is appropriate for us. Now we have to have another bucket of conversation for accounting people. Uh, we're not going to take away your jobs. We're going to make life easier for you. We're going to introduce you to best practices. We're going to help you implement software you might need. Like we're the support for you, not the uh, reason you're going to lose your job. Like let's think through some of these things. But does your typical accountant lay awake at night thinking about these issues? I would fancy no. Yeah, I would agree. Um... Let's uh, continue down this track here. So website, big story, differentiation, content. What are some other foundational elements that you found lacking uh, in some of the businesses you've evaluated? Well, in my evaluatory role, <laughs> I often run it through um, a tool like, say, Screaming Frog. Screaming Frog is a nice SEO tool that allows me to look at a, a company's website as if I was a search engine. I'm seeing the meta descriptions, the, the keywords, the H1s, the H2s, all the technical stuff. And in 85 to 90% of cases, there is 
big portions of that work missing or inaccurate or uh, high level. Um, the team is not a way that someone would be searching for an accounting firm, right? But accounting firm in Minneapolis for manufacturers would be a great meta description, right? So when you see that, once again, the accounting firm doesn't think, well, wait a minute, we should search engine optimize our website so that people looking for us find us, click through, and then experience some of the other foundational tactics that you mentioned earlier, Mike. So like to, to set up a, a website for SEO, it's certainly a lot cheaper than giant mass advertising. And it's a project that once done just needs to be maintained, not constantly redone over and over again. But uh, once again, you know, your typical accounting firm would not think that way. So once again, another element that's missing that doesn't cost too much or is too hard to do. Mm -hmm. How about uh, ongoing communication with clients and prospects? I'm constantly shocked at how few people regularly send out emails to clients, to, to prospects, just to even inform them of things that are going on in the company. That seems also missing at, at like uh, pandemic levels, don't you think? I do. And uh, lots of clients come to us and they say, yeah, we're looking for a marketing agency that could help us with awareness. I'm like, well, what does awareness mean to you? Oh, well, we want to make people that we want to do business with, you know, aware that our business is here and what we can do. Okay, that makes sense. But then I ask them questions about, well, do you think you derive enough revenue from your existing customer base? And then they say things like, oh, I hate it when someone says, I didn't know you guys did that. So then my next question would be, how do you educate your customer base on all the great things you could do to help them? Oh, well, we really don't. Uh, well, we have a college intern that posts to social media every week. That's about it. And you know that they're posting things like, you know, Mary's birthday or the chocolate chip cookie recipe that Frank's wife makes and brings into the office. And of course, I'm being probably rude, but I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. They're not like, hey, if you're in this situation, this is the accounting service that we have that'll help you in a pickle, right? This is uh, three things you should know about compliance that are probably exposed in your company. And that ongoing educational uh, uh, activity will help you cross-sell and upsell so you could drive more revenue. Remember, Mike, the name of this show is What's Wrong With Revenue, right? It'll help you drive more revenue from the same people you're already doing business with. But I would say less than 50% of people have a strong ongoing email campaign to their existing client base. Mm -hmm. How about alignment between sales and marketing? That's also something that we see missing fairly frequently as well. That also, to me, seems very foundational if you're going to try to grow the company. You have to have these two groups on the same page, I would think. Of course. In our book, Fire Your Sales Team Today, the main thrust of that book is that the old-fashioned division between sales and marketing is done. Now we want to group everybody together in one department called the revenue team, and everybody's working together to hit that revenue number. Look, some people in the revenue team are generating leads and other people on the revenue team are closing deals, but they're all pulling on the rope in the same direction. That is a way um, heavy topic for a lot of companies to consider because once again, the engineering firm says, well, I guess we need some salespeople and they put an ad in the paper and people come to them and they're like, oh, you sell things? Yes, yeah, sell our things. As opposed to, 
hey, let's talk about how we can make sales and marketing a combination effort that is going to drive to the results we need. And sometimes that might not be a traditional salesperson. In the case of a professional services firm like the engineering and the accounting firms we've been talking about, you don't need any salespeople. You need subject matter experts that are willing to talk to prospects, hear their problems, and give them recommendations on how to solve those problems. And if they agree that that's the way to go, slap a price tag on it and let's get started. There's no, no more of this, what can I do to put you into a Chevy today? And there's no need for a traditional marketing person to be doing like print ads and, you know, uh, uh, ad, you know, general advertising, direct mail kind of stuff like it used to be. So I think that that's a big problem. I'm not sure that I would put that as simply a foundational tactical issue. It's really more of a foundational strategic issue. How your company views sales and marketing might be holding you back from generating revenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we probably covered a lot of the missing foundational tactics. Before we move on, is there anything you think we didn't talk about that you would want to highlight as a missing foundational element? Well, I, I, I think that the nurture is something that uh, is missing as a foundational tactic. And when we talk to people specifically that already have the HubSpot tool, they say things like, well, we haven't set up our nurtures yet, or someone set up a nurture three years ago, and I don't even know how it works or what they're saying. I think that the nurture is one of the most underrated foundational tactics out there because nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to switch my accounting firm today. They have to go through a process of talking about what they want to accomplish and then uh, understanding their goals and objectives for hiring an accounting firm and then finding a few accounting firms by talking to their friends and family, coworkers and colleagues or Googling and then getting those people and starting to have conversations with them. Those aren't just one and done kind of events. They require some support in the form of a nurture. So before I even reach out to ABC accounting firm, I'm going to their website or I wouldn't reach out to them, right? I have to check them out online. And if I get to their website and it says nine and a half critical compliance mistake most companies make, and I download that free report in exchange for my email address, and then the company has set up an automatic nurture to then drip on that person uh, five times over the next two weeks to kind of really give them the whole story, that is such a simple thing to set up, so powerful to continue that conversation, albeit in the background using marketing, but to build that relationship. I uh, reached out to a company. I'm in charge of my entrepreneur group's annual retreat coming up. So I said, I really want to make my effort to, to plan this annual retreat the best one we've ever had. So I went to a couple of sites, how to plan the best corporate retreat. And now I'm getting two or three nurtures. I'm in the middle of them right now. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. And you know what? This one specific company out of New Jersey is killing it. They are speaking directly to me in a voice that I appreciate. And I got to tell you, I'm not even through their nurture, but I'm kind of already thinking I'm going to hire them. Don't mm -hmm. don't tell that then before I negotiate the price, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of data that supports that, too. I think I read something like it's now 12 to 15 touches before someone will consider doing business with you. And you just can't make those all, you know, personal sales phone calls. There has to be automation and, and smart communication and educational content being served up in the background uh, through tools, which which does take me to the final foundational element that we talked a lot about last show, but not necessarily now. It's the technology piece. I don't see how you could possibly grow revenue without some kind of growth platform, both for marketing, sales, and service, and, and probably your website and a bunch of other things too. But 
I think that's a foundational piece that you, you know, if you don't have that all buttoned up, that could be impacting your growth also. Totally. You know, I mean, I hear all the time. Yeah. Our salespeople don't use the CRM. What? Like it's essential as a foundational tactic to keep all of your sales leads in one place and make sure you can manage what's going on and watch over that. Seems so simple, but you know, oh, each uh, salesperson, they use their own spreadsheet. Well, uh, leadership has no insight into that, which means no forecasting, no projecting, no improving the process. They're just leaving it in the hands of salespeople, which no offense, but they're salespeople. So we identified like a good chunk of foundational elements here today. Do you think a company like uh, someone listening could just kind of objectively look at their business and be like, oh, okay, like we have this, we don't have that, we're missing this, we never did anything like that. I think we might have that. Is it is that simply how they can kind of go through and see how they're doing with, with these elements? No, unless their internal people are experienced in plotting out a buyer's journey and then supplementing it with the foundational tactics necessary. I know how to drive a car, Mike, but I don't know how to uh, audit my engine for problems that are going on. I need a professional. Now, mm -hmm. I can hire my own mechanic, right, on my personal family staff to come in and manage my fleet of vehicles, or I could just take it to the local mechanic shop and depend on an expert to make sure my car is running right. And I think that that's tricky. Now, could I write my own white paper? I think so, right? I could get my internal team to do a nice piece of content, but plotting out a buyer's journey and then matching up the associated um, foundational tactics necessary to drive them through the finish line for a closed deal. I don't think that you can do that yourself unless you have someone who's experienced mm -hmm. on, on the team. Some of these things are like, we're missing the tires. I mean, some of these are kind of obvious, right? Like if you go to yep. your homepage and there's no educational content and no place for someone to convert, it's kind of like, you know, like there are, there's no windshield on my car. I'm missing a foundational element, right? I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure I agree because the windshield and the tires are, are essential for that car to go. I have a website, which is like the wheels, but my website is bad. So if I had four wheels, I checked that box, but if they were the wrong size tires, if they didn't have the right air in them, if it was snow tires versus other tires, how would I know to get optimal performance? Remember what's wrong with revenue, right? So I'm not sure that your analogy holds up. If it was, I don't have a website, that would be a into I don't have four wheels, but I have a website and I'm happy about it, even though my car is bouncing around and like one side of the tires wearing more than the other and uh, two tires are Bridgestone and two tires are Goodyear, right? I, it, there's a little bit more nuance there than I think you're giving credit. That's fair enough. All right. So what do you think the impact would be in terms of the company's performance if they're missing these foundational elements. Like I know they maybe are not growing, but to your point, the car is bouncing down the road, right? It might not be a smooth ride, but we're getting to the supermarket where we need to. And so like, how do they identify whether these are things that need their attention and investment and, and, and upgrade? Well, it all goes back to goals and objectives, right? If the leadership team of a company says, we're going to go from five to 10 million over the next three years. And after three years, they're at 5.1 million. There's something wrong there, right? If it's even more short term, hey, this quarter we have to generate 50 sales opportunities and we got six, red light should be blinking all over the place. Something's not right here. Or to use your car example, where's Aunt Edna? Oh, she bounced out of the back seat two miles down because the, the car was violently shaking. We didn't even notice she fell out of the car. 
That's the kind of stuff I don't think that people really understand. And you know what? It's not critical because if, if you feel that your company is 5 million and you want to go to 5.1 million and then 5.4 million, then maybe you can withstand a bumpy ride. But if you're like, look, I want everybody in my company, both teammates and the clients and prospects to have a great experience, a, a bumpy car ride is not acceptable. So I think it all stems from goals and objectives of the company. Look, we've had many clients that are like, look, don't rush us. We're doing 50 million in sales. We really just want a new website because we're a little embarrassed about the old website. We don't, we, we're happy with the way things are. We're just looking for us some minor enhancements versus some of the other people that are um, coming to us and they're like, look, if we don't generate 20 sales leads a week, we're going to be in big trouble. And that's a, a, a goals and objectives thing. Where, where, where do you want to take this thing? Like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So uh, just my opinion that it comes back to leadership. Look, if it was everybody felt this way, Mike, then everybody would be signing up for a marketing agency tomorrow. But you know, as well as I do, the groups of people that are using outside agencies or hiring a expertise laden team internally are definitely in the minority. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I like, again, if their objectives are to go from five to 10 million, they have to really be smart about it. If it's to go to five to 5.1, you're, you're right. Like it might not be as big a deal um, just to manage uh, uh, what um, uh, is currently going on versus what needs to go on. I agree completely. And that's perfectly fine. No blame whatsoever. Everybody grows their business. Everybody operates their business in, in their own way. And we're not criticizing that part of it, but for the listeners of this show and they want to figure out what's wrong with their revenue growth, then maybe they should consider some expertise plotting out those foundational tactics to get the acceleration that they want. Great. You want to answer some questions? I love the questions. Yeah, here we go. Um, I'm a big fan of um, the big story, right? You can't, uh, but we can't seem to get my company on board. How do you convince CEOs that they need the big story to drive revenue? This is from Justin in Tulsa. Well, I mean, it's, it, it really comes down to a differentiation kind of issue, right? So if you're having challenges competing against some of the people in your industry, then leadership has to say, well, well, well we got to stop. We got to tell a better story than the other folks. And I think that that's a big thing. Now, there's lots of times where people come out with a unique kind of um, product or service and they're the market leader or they're the pioneer, okay, maybe the big story is resident in their entire strategy. But for the most part, back to our engineering and back to our uh, accounting firms, right? There's a lot of accounting firms and engineering firms literally on every corner. And if that's the case, then, well, we really have to think about what our big story is. Now, there's the big story and then there is this story emotionally connecting with the people we wanna do business with and sometimes, even more importantly, are we repelling the people that we want to not do business with? So back to my planning a retreat issue that I'm working on right now. I found a great say, uh, plan the best retreat on the East Coast or something like that. So I go to their website, says, hey, before you schedule a call, let's ask you some questions. How many people are coming to your retreat? I put in 12. They immediately auto-responded with, I'm sorry, at this time, our minimum retreat number is 50 people. Please report back when you have like 50 people in your group. And I was like, great, they're repelling the wrong people. They told a good story, but then they qualified me out using a little technology. And I think that that's important because if you are an accounting firm, do I want to do 1040 EZs for college students? 
or do I want to do monster compliance programs for enter enterprise level companies? That's the choice you make. And then the story has to match and connect with those people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. And, you know, um, Justin, to, to, to try to help you, you know, lots of times we'll show clients what their competitors' stories look like. And you probably could do something similar with your CEO, like, like show her exactly what the main competitors are, how they're positioning themselves, what they're saying, what their headline is on the website. And clearly, <coughs> bless you. Excuse me. Clearly, uh, illustrate that you're really not saying anything interesting like we do this quite a bit like scratch out replace test right like if if we change the name on any of our competitors websites it literally could be yours so that's not a position you want to be in i think that's one way to potentially show someone like you're not really doing a good job telling your story you're not really doing a good job differentiating and the opportunity to rethink that story and launch something that is much bigger, more emotional, more compelling can have a significant impact on the business, both in terms of getting people to the website and getting them involved in wanting to talk to you about potentially uh, buying products or services. Justin, say this to your CEO. If given three companies that all look exactly the same, who are our people going to buy from? And the answer is the cheapest. Right. We don't want to be the lowest cost provider in our industry. So let's separate ourselves by telling a bigger, richer story. Yeah. Look, sometimes it's hard for people who are numbers driven or black and white to kind of understand this concept. One of the things we do is we'll mock up a website and show it to our clients and let them kind of show it around the company so they can get a much better idea of what it's going to look like in the real world, like how the story actually um, materializes you know, in headline with pictures and, you know, that can be helpful too. Like here's our current website. It's pretty vanilla, vanilla and lame. Oh, here's what our website could look like. Look at the story. Look at these images. Look at the kind of content we're serving up now. Like, isn't this going to provide our visitors a better experience? That might also help um, someone who maybe is a little less comfortable with exactly what you're talking about. See it in, you know, in, in black and white, if you will. All right, I got a question here from, um, this is from Anne-Marie in Reno, Nevada. We don't have any educational content on our website or for use in any of our marketing. How do you recommend we go about creating this content? So if content's foundational and they're missing it, what should they do? Well, the first thing back to our buyer's journey is to kind of think about what the steps would be with someone that would go through experiencing our company from beginning to end usually early in the journey, they have lots of questions, right? They're trying to do research and figure it all out. My uh, uh, previous accounting firm, uh, you know, the, 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 the owner retired and now I'm without an accounting firm. I have six months to find a new accounting firm. Let's find a new one. Well, what would that experience look like? I talked to my friends, I Google, I'd come to a few websites. Great. When they get to that website, the question has to be, well, what questions do they have during that journey? And then give them content to answer that question. It's like, should I go for a big accounting firm or a small accounting firm, right? Which is best for me. So if it's take the ABC accounting firm challenge, see if you're right for a firm like ours. Now there's a little piece of content that helps me answer some of those questions. If I need someone on call 24 7, 365, or I'm willing to have like periodic uh, formal meetings, those are questions that, that should be answered right in the beginning. In the middle of the journey, they're considering lots of options. Maybe I'll hire an accounting manager. Maybe I'll get a fractional CFO. Uh, maybe I'll do outsourced accounting, or maybe I'll have a local bookkeeper do it for me. These are all options I might have. 
there's different kinds of content that you could provide to help point people that you're the obvious choice to do business with. And then later in the journey, they're trying to like, okay, I really like this ABC accounting firm. How do I know they're right for me before I sign on the dotted line? Testimonials, case studies, rave reviews, reference reels, all of that stuff supports them signing their name on the dotted line. So even in that two second description that I gave, there was probably five or six pieces of content you could develop without being so scientific about it, but at least it would be a good starting point for your content strategy to develop those initial like high level pieces of content. I think like, I think a lot of people don't realize their own capabilities when it comes to content. I mean, pretty much every company we've worked with has some capabilities around creating their own content. They might not necessarily be professional writers, but they do know more or less what prospects are asking about. They do know um, what kinds of information are required to get people comfortable with them. They just never really formalized it. They never really deployed it the right way. They certainly don't continue to go back to it and add to it, update it, upgrade it, you know, uh, uh, take something that was generic and make it vertically focused or role focused, which would make it a lot better. So I think uh, the, the best way, in my opinion, is to just start tackling some of this yourself. If you need extra resources, that's a whole nother story. But I think if time is on your side, there's plenty of opportunities to go about creating some of this content on your own. And then when it comes to deploy it, you know, you'll run some tests, put it on page, the first page. If it doesn't convert, try it on a different page. I mean, if you're going to go back and listen to some of our shows about the website and some of our shows about content strategy and some of our shows about the buyer journey, you get a lot of insights into how to do that in a more scientific way. But in the meantime, the sooner you get started with content, the, the better off you'll be from a website experience and from a conversion experience. Agreed. All right. I got a really good question from Stevie in Albany, Maine here. <clears throat> What results have you seen from companies who have added all these elements? And what about those who've just added some, but not all? Well, the first thing uh, that, you know, results wise is a much bigger database. Okay. If you have all of your foundational tactics and let's use content as a very simple example, right? If I'm offering nine and a half compliance mistakes, most companies make and 2% of my thousand visitors a month downloaded that you're talking about 20 new people a month in my database that I can now start to have conversations with and or nurture. So over the course of the year, that would be 240 new people in my database without spending a dime on advertising. So there's a very direct result of a foundational tactic added. If I add a big story, as Mike said earlier, well, then people should be on my website more, uh, spend more time on my website and view more pages and share with their buddies. And my bounce rate will go down. You know how many people come to your homepage and leave without going inside? That's a bad number. So my bounce rate will go down. So those are direct impacts from having a great story. If I have a great differentiation uh, 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 effort on my website, then I should be winning more deals against my competition. My close rate will go up. So all of these things uh, can be quantified into direct results that'll occur if you mix them into your sales and marketing mix. Yeah, and uh, Stevie, I think you're gonna get better results the more you do. I mean, it really just comes down to that. I will tell you that you know, every client is a little different. A lot of people wanna know the answers to the question that you're asking, like, what, you know, what's gonna happen if I do A, B, and C? Like, it's just 
impossible for us to tell you exactly what's going to happen if you do A, B, and C. What we can tell you is it's going to be better than what you're doing now. And if you do A, B, C, and D, it's going to be better than if you just do A and B. If you do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, it's going to be better than A, B, C, and D. So the more you do, the better it's going to get. Uh, every, every improvement across the board is going to have an impact on how you're doing from a growth perspective. If you did nothing but got more visitors to your website, you're going to get more leads. Even if you didn't get more visitors to your website, but you put more opportunities for people to convert, you're going to generate more leads. So there are, there's an incredible opportunity to take advantage of the compounding effect, which we've talked about before when we showed you the revenue cycle in that uh, episode. Something you do at the beginning of the buyer journey impacts something that happens in the middle of the buyer journey, which impacts something that happens at the end of the buyer journey. If you're constantly improving that cycle from click to close, all of those areas have an opportunity for improvement. All those areas have foundational elements that can be inserted in there you're going to see improvement. If you only do half of it, you'll probably see half the improvement than if you do all of it. But every client's results vary. Every client takes a different amount of time to have their traction impact the actual results. And all of these compiling factors work differently with every different company. So there are really no uh, benchmarks or baselines here for us to say, oh, if you do three things, you're going to improve by 20%. It just doesn't work that like that. It would be the same way if uh, I was a a um, orthopedic surgeon and you came in with a knee injury and I evaluated you and came up with a treatment plan, the next person comes in, they have a knee injury too. Theirs is going to be a little different. Their structure, their muscular structure is going to be different. Maybe they had a previous injury. Maybe they have a different bone density than you do. Like there's just so many variables to each individual. Companies are a lot like individuals. So it's going to be difficult for us to tell you exactly what you're going to get from it, except to say you're going to do better. I will give one phrase, activity breeds activity. Sorry, that should be on your head. That should be on your headstone. That, that's that you use that a lot. I'm getting a new tattoo. Uh-huh. All right. I got a question from Rock in New Orleans. Who, this is a very, also a very common question that we get. How long do you think it will take to build out all these foundational elements on our own? And he notes here that we have a team of three people. So what would you suggest uh, to Rock and his crew of three? First of all, big shout out to Rock for the coolest name ever. Second is, you know, you just don't know because how comprehensive do you want to dive into some of these foundational tactics? And I'll give you an example. If you are, uh, does it say what kind of company they are, Mike? No, it doesn't. Okay. So let's say you're a very technical firm, right? It might be a lot easier than if you're a corner uh, grocery store because you have to explain a lot more things. It's a higher ticket average. It's a more complex sale. It's a longer sales cycle. So it really depends on what you're selling is how um, uh, quickly you can build out those foundational tactics. So that's number one. Like it depends on the company. We've had clients that are so easy to describe. And then we've had clients that are so in-depth in the description of their unique services that it just takes longer to build out those foundational uh, tactics. However, based upon the situation of a, a team of three versus an agency with more resources, I would think it would be 20 or 30% uh, faster, uh, sorry, um, 
60 to 70% faster if you were using an agency, one, because they know how to do it and they cut the learning curve, two, because they have the appropriate resources for all the different kinds of foundational tactics, aka an SEO person, a content person, a copywriter, an editor, a, a paid campaign person, all those kinds of things, a website design team, all of those things. But it doesn't mean that your team can't do it. You simply have to prioritize. And I think that that's one of the things we see when companies are trying to build it out. They just bite off way more than they can chew. If you just said this quarter, if we had three key case studies that we could post on our website and our sales team could use to validate why we're the obvious choice to do business with, I think that's a big win. And if you put all three of your people on talking to subject matter experts, writing it out, editing it, saving it as a PDF, posting it to your website, conversion forms, and so forth, that would be a really uh, successful quarter. And you'd have three assets that would live on forever. And the reason I say that is because what Mike and I are talking about today is to build the strongest possible foundation that you don't have to redo every day, unless, of course, you change your business, right? But if you lay into the strong foundation, this stuff lives on forever. I think it was a couple of episodes, Mike, we were talking about those YouTube videos I did when I still had black hair. And now they have like 50,000 views each because they just live on as people search and find them and watch them and then click through to our website. They just help in the overall effort. So once again, you know, you're building a house, you're not renting an apartment. The foundational tactics that your three-person team builds uh, this quarter, maybe three case studies. The next quarter, you're going to focus on SEO. You're going to revamp the website in first quarter of next year, so forth and so on. Yeah, I think, uh, Rock, I think you're asking the wrong question. I don't think time is really relevant to what you're trying to do here. You got to do this, right? Do as much as you can, as fast as you can. In a, in a quality way, of course. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Everything that you're gonna be adding, all of these foundational elements you're gonna be bringing to the company are going to improve performance. So I don't think you should really worry about how long it's gonna take. I think you should get started to Eric's point. You know, Fix the big story, done, check it off the box. Let's look at content. Which pieces do we have? Which pieces are we missing? Let's redeploy them, check. Okay, let's look at our nurtures. We haven't been doing any nurtures. Let's just start with some simple nurtures on those uh, pieces of content that convert on the website. We'll do a series of uh, three touches on each of those three items. Okay, good, check. Like, it doesn't matter how long that takes. You have three people. I'm sure you'll be working really hard and going as fast as you possibly can. And you're gonna be making improvements. Slow and steady wins the race. Like we say this frequently to our clients, like you're about to run a marathon. Like you have to really, you can't quit. You have to like stick it out. You have to like go the 26 miles. Like it's painful at times, but other times when you're going downhill, it might actually feel made easy. It might just feel easy. Or if the wind's blowing in your face, you might actually feel refreshed. Other times it's going to be a slog, but you got to just follow through. You got to be persistent. You got to be patient and you got to just do it. Like if you were running a marathon, you don't care how long it takes you to finish. You just want to finish, right? To say you ran a marathon, no one ever asks you, well, what'd you do it in? Oh my God, that was so slow. What they're going to say is, wow, you ran a marathon, man. I'm really impressed. No one even cares how long it took you to do it. It's exactly like that. You got to do these things. You got to get them in place. Don't worry about time. Focus on the important pieces and get them done. I think that's actually sage advice, Mike. I ran my first marathon in three and a half months. <laughs> there was some camping in your first marathon. There was a few breaks. Right. Okay. Um, this is from Tommy in Dublin, Ireland. Get One out. International. Yeah. You, you remember Tommy. I think you had a Guinness with him. 
Um, once these foundational pieces are done in place, what are the next steps and how do we keep these updated uh, or will new pieces be needed over time? So it's kind of an interesting question. How, how would you answer Tommy? Yeah, I mean, they, the new pieces are definitely going to be needed over time because nobody, even the accounting firm using us as a very simple example, when a new tax code comes out and you have to change your strategy up, oh, that's a perfect opportunity for a new piece of content or to edit something you had before on that specific topic. So it's an ongoing uh, exercise. Now, software enables us to archive and organize all of our content pieces. So there you could have a piece of software that could help you keep track of everything that you've created, posted and pushed out there. And maybe you do a quarterly review of your content or if things change in the business, one of the things that you should be talking about is how will this affect our content strategy? Maybe because of a, uh, a surprising new uh, legal, uh, sorry, a tax code change, you want to get the information out there right away and maybe postpone another piece of content that was already scheduled for this month. So I think it's an ongoing exercise in seeing what's going on. I mean, the other thing is data insights. So for example, if you have a piece of content that you and your team created, you posted it and nobody is interacting with it, that should also be flagged in your software, right? This is an area for improvement. If that's the case, then it could be a variety of things. Where are we placing it on the website? How is our sales team leveraging it? What part of the sales process? Um, um, uh, what is the title of our white paper ebook? Maybe it just needs a new title to get more uh, uh, connecting with the pains that people have that might be downloading it. So there's definitely some uh, analysis needed of what's going on so that it can help you make those decisions. And I know I speak for Mike. We know that creating new content and editing the old content is quite the burden, but we're all looking for better results. What's new with revenue? What's wrong with revenue is the name of our show. It could be that your content is underperforming and with some modest changes, it could be very, very high performance. Yeah, I'll give you a good example uh, of this at Square Two. Uh, so we like to publish things that are kind of date sensitive, right? Like the top demand gen tactics in 2022, right? Like people tend to like those kinds of pieces. However, they get dated. As soon as we go into the end of 2022, no one's interested in that anymore. They're looking for the 2023 report, right? So you know, we go back in, we look at that content and we might change the date, but changing the date isn't always enough. We have to go through the content and make sure it's still representative of, of our thinking around these particular tactics or that particular area of the business. And it might get a little upgrade. Now you have a 2023 version. Sometimes we take the date off so it can be you know, more universal and we don't have to pay as much attention to it as we, we, we might need to, depending on what the content is. So there's always going to be some curation around the content. You know, the website is always going to need some attendant uh, to it in terms of what's working, what's not working. Um, Square Two had a website meeting today about our own website. We're looking at new pages we want to add to it and old pages that need to be upgraded, updated, um, you know, just brought up to current standards because we built the pages a couple of years ago. Like those kind of things are just, just, that's just like, those are foundational exercises from a marketing perspective. So um, no matter how you're doing with these foundational elements, that ongoing stuff is, is gonna be needed and you should budget for it and you should have it assigned to somebody and it should be part of your regular rhythms. Um, you know, let's take a look at the website. What pages aren't performing? Okay, put these on the list to be redone, right? That's kind of what we do and what we do for clients. 
Um, these pages are missing. Okay, put them on the list of new pages to create, right? When are we gonna get around to those? This page isn't converting. Okay, it needs some content. Let's find the right content for that stage of the buyer journey for that page. Okay, put it on the list of things to do. Like, it's a constant list that never ends. So, um, you know, there's a lot of steps that will follow this foundational piece, Tommy, but um, it's part of day to day. It's part of like a, a good solid ongoing marketing effort is to be constantly looking at this stuff and making sure that it is updated and upgraded accordingly. All right, Eric, I got one more question and this is a pretty good one. This is from uh, Cole in Tucson, Arizona. Are these foundational elements different based on industry? What about life cycle of the company startups versus established companies what do you how would you answer cole's question it has nothing to do with any of those issues it has to do with your prospects and buyers right what do they want to see what do you want to sell them what do you want them to learn about your company that is the absolute classic mistake if you're in startup mode okay but you still have to tell your story to your first bunch of customers if you're a hundred year old company you still have to tell your story to the new prospects to continue to grow your company looking at it from your perspective is on your industry and your life cycle of your company is not the way to look at it it has to be with the buyers that you're looking for stand in their shoes give them what they want what do they need to interact with you and that shift in thinking i guarantee you will give you an immediate pop in your marketing results yeah, it's good advice. And I think when you do that, you'll actually notice some differences. For instance, if you're a startup and you have to educate um, the entire world about what your business is going to be doing, well, those are some questions that people have that will pop up when you start to look at the buyer journey and that will uh, drive certain content responses. So, you know, companies that are in startup have to do a lot of missionary work, right? We have a client now that's in this uh, PTO marketplace, you know, exchanging PTO for time off, like a lot of people don't understand what that is. So in addition to explaining their software and their platform, they have to also uh, explain that PTO is a quantifiable component of everybody's benefits. It has a value to it. And that value can be turned in for a variety of things. So like, I didn't know that. Most people don't know that. So before I'm even considering some kind of software or platform, I got to understand that that there's some value to paid time off. So, you know, I think Eric uh, is giving you really good advice. When you start to look at your prospects and the questions they have, you may find that there are different answers to those questions, depending on what stage of life your business is in or what industry it's in. But if you really lean into those prospects and the kind of questions they're asking, you really can't go wrong. And that's why we keep harping on this buyer journey. That's why we keep, we keep harping on, you know, understanding the different stages of the buyer journey and really going deep in the buyer journey and really creating content that answers questions and pages that answer questions and emails and nurtures. Like literally every foundational element we discussed at the beginning of the show can be applied back to this prospect's buyer journey. And if you haven't done that, then there's a pretty good chance that these foundational elements could be misaligned and not working as well as they potentially could be had you done that step, step first. So again, if, if I could give you some advice is before you jump into websites and content and those things that people are excited about, emails and social media and all those things that everyone wants to touch and feel, pay attention to that prospect journey. It's not a sexy part of what we do. I think you, you'd enjoy doing it because it is very insightful and it covers interesting elements of your prospects and how they think about hiring you but it's really gonna be a really nice map for some of the foundational elements we talked about today.
Yeah, I mean, even just to put a bookends around today's episode, in the very beginning, I, I said it's about buyer's journey. It's not about your company. And we'll conclude with exactly the same thing. Stand in their shoes, see what they want, see what they're looking for. What do they need? What questions answer? What uh, uh, concerns do they need addressed? What are the next steps you want them to do in that buyer's journey? That's way, way critical uh, to getting the results that you're looking for. Agreed, agreed. All right, awesome. Great show, Eric. Thanks for joining. Folks, if you want to watch the show, you can go to Square Two Marketing's YouTube channel. All of our uh, What's Wrong With Revenue shows are posted there. Like us, subscribe to the show, give us some comments. We like to hear from people and what you think about the show, what you liked, what you didn't like. We're happy to respond. If you're interested in audio and video content, check out Square Two's new and free streaming service called Square Two Plus. SquareTwoMarketing.com backslash Square Two P-L-U-S. You can get all the shows and all of the rest of our audio and video content there. And you can subscribe as well. And we'll notify you when new content is posted. If you like the show, if you want to uh, post questions like the ones we answered today, you can go to our website, go to the bottom. There's a button for what's wrong with revenue. Click it and you can submit a question like the ones we answered today. You can subscribe to the show. You can get the show on your schedules. You can join us live and we would love to have you and host you and answer your questions live. Next week in episode 43, we're going to talk about What's wrong with revenue? You don't have the right campaign methodology, which is interesting because Square Two is doing a lot of work around its own campaign methodology. And I think sometimes people just expect campaigns to work and they haven't really planned them right. They don't really have the right elements. They're not executing them properly and they're definitely not optimizing them. So we're gonna dig into campaign methodology in a great degree of detail next Wednesday at four o'clock. Thanks everybody for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day. Eric, as always, thanks for doing the show. And uh, see you all soon. Bye-bye.